church family, it's that time of the year in which we have to close our eyes and walk barefooted across a cold bathroom floor and step onto a scale. There's something about stepping onto a scale that's like truth serum. It just tells you the facts. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, there's something about looking at a scale is that the fact that it reveals back to you about how you're doing physically. Did you know that your bank statement is like your weight scale and then it tells back to you how you're doing spiritually? In fact, when you read the Bible, you will often see where God says money and your relationship with him hold hands. Your walk with God is reflected in how you spend money. And as we are finishing up our three-part series called Open Handed, looking at generosity from a gospel worldview, this idea of how the good news of a generous God who has rescued us through a generous gospel makes us into a generous people. We're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where Paul instructs the wealthy to watch their hearts and to watch their wallets. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's in the New Testament and it's a great epistle, a great letter written by the Apostle Paul. And we're wrapping up this three-part sermon series called Open Handed. We're looking at gospel generosity and as followers of Jesus, how we are a generous people. You see, being open-handed is not something that we do in order to get salvation, but because we already have salvation. I'll say it a different way, that being generous is what we do as those who have trusted in Christ, not so that we can be received by Christ. When you trust in Jesus, he changes your heart, he changes your life, you're not who you used to be. That when you are born again, you become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, behold, all things become brand new. That your worldview changes, the way that you think changes, your disposition changes. Everything changes the moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that changes is how you spend your money. You go from someone who accumulates as much wealth as possible to keep for yourself, to build your own personal kingdom, to which now you become open-handed. You are generous with the resources that God has entrusted to you because the gospel has changed your hearts. This is one of the beautiful things of the gospel is that when you trust in Jesus, he changes everything about you. And it's from this new heart and from this new life in Christ that Paul gives Timothy instruction. Now, it's important for us to understand this, how special this relationship is between Paul and Timothy. The apostle Paul, we know him as the, uh, formerly as Saul. He's the man who persecuted believers. He sought to imprison believers. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus meets him on the Damascus road. His life is radically changed by Jesus. He goes from being an enemy of the church to now a church planter. And as he's going about his first missionary journey, he goes through Lystra. And it's at this time that he preaches the gospel. And it's more than likely that Timothy and his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, they come to faith in Christ. 
We see later on, Paul has a second missionary journey where he comes through Lystra in which he identifies Timothy and says, Timothy, why don't you come with me on my journey as I go about? And so we see Timothy join Paul and they go about the mission of preaching the gospel. I mean, talk about a seminary education. Timothy gets a front row seat to seeing Paul preach the gospel. He sees him plant churches, make disciples. He sees him preach in the synagogue and in the marketplace between Jews and Gentiles. He sees riots and he sees revivals. An incredible experience. Well, the writing of 1 Timothy, Timothy is now pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's there serving as pastor. He's teaching, he's leading, he's shepherding the people of God in this great and glorious city. And it's there in that city that Paul gives Timothy instruction on how to pastor. In fact, 1 Timothy is coupled with 2 Timothy and Titus, these three books. They're called pastoral epistles or pastoral letters. They teach pastors how to lead, how to shepherd. In 1 Timothy, he's giving instruction on how to lead in the local church. And in chapter 6, Paul instructs Timothy to teach sound doctrine and to avoid those who are false teachers. Because false teachers, what they are teaching, it leads to division, it leads to infighting, and they see godliness as a way of making wealth. That's where we pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, and the scripture says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Here in the text, I want you to see three principles that teach us how to watch our hearts and watch our wallets. The first principle I want you to see is this. Be content with God's provision. Be content with God's provision. Paul 
Paul contrasts godly contentment with false teachers who are teaching, verse 5, that the end goal of living a godly life is material gain. The motivation behind false teachers is that they desire to gain money. Isn't that interesting? That what's happening in the first century church is happening today in the 21st century church. False teachers who are seeking to fill their pockets with as much money as possible through their teaching. You see, one of the marks of a false teacher is that they want your money. Now, a faithful teacher, a faithful pastor is not interested in your money. They want you to know Jesus. They want you to have a passionate relationship with him in which he is first in your heart and your life and you pursue hard after him. Paul is warning Timothy to be on guard against these false teachers who are trying to use money as means of gaining a foothold in the local church. So he's teaching Timothy, instruct him to teach the opposite. Be content with what God has provided because that is greater gain. Why? Because verse 7, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You know the old saying, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse? It's true. When you're dead, none of your possessions go with you. Your house, your clothes, your cars, your jewelry, your money, your technology, everything stays here. You cannot take it with you. Eventually, it will wither away. It will gather cobwebs. It'll rust. It'll dust. It'll break and eventually thrown away. You cannot take those things with you because the person who dies with the most stuff still dies. Job chapter 1 verse 21 Job says, naked I came into the world and naked I will depart. You see, when this life is over, it does not matter how much stuff you own. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos cannot take a penny with them into eternity. And athletes and actors and politicians and entrepreneurs with all of their billions, they're just like the rest of the world, naked and empty-handed before the Almighty on the last day. See, Paul is telling Timothy, he's telling him, warn the rich in your congregation to hold their possessions very loosely. Because if you're trying to grasp your possessions, indeed, it's your possessions that are grasping you. And Paul has his sight set on the heart of the church, and he's wanting to protect the church from greed or covetousness, which drives us away from Jesus. You see, for the follower of Christ, we are those who do not pursue after, pursue after material gain for our fame, but rather we're people who are content with whatever God provides. We are content with food and clothing. We're not those who hoard our possessions. We don't hoard our wealth because it's not ours to begin with. Everything we possess in your bank account, inside your home, inside your cars, all the things that you have, ultimately they're not yours. The Bible teaches us that God is the owner. We are the managers. We steward. We oversee. We're responsible for how we leverage these gifts that he's given to us for the sake of the kingdom. And see, it's those who desire riches, people who are money hungry, people who are like, man, I just want to be, I just want to be wealthy. You fall into a temptation. It's a trap. Look at verse nine. It brings ruin and destruction in the lives of those who pursue that. 
Moreover, it ushers them away from Jesus. This is, verse nine is a red flag. Paul's waving a red flag saying, warning, watch out. Don't go there. It's dangerous if you want to be wealthy above all things. If money and material possessions are your heart's desire, he's warning the church. You know, according to the 2023 National Endowment for Financial Education, 70%, 70, 70% of lottery winners are bankrupt within three years. Why? Because money's not enough. They, They allow money to become ultimate. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, notice in the text, it does not say that money is the root of evil. That's not what the text says. Okay, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Why? Money is neutral. We are the ones who give value and significance to it. It's a resource that God has given to us to manage and to steward. It's a good gift from God. But when we love money more than the giver, that's when our hearts drift away from God. That's what the text is telling us. Ultimately, it leads to unbelief. People walk away and not only walk away from Jesus, they pierce themselves with more pain out of their love for money. In fact, one of the more heartbreaking passages that you'll see is in Paul's second letter to Timothy. In chapter four, he gets to the very end of his letter. And there is Paul suffering in Mamertine prison in Rome. He's possibly days away from being beheaded for his faith in Jesus. And what does he write there in that fourth chapter? Demas has left me because he loved this world. He's gone to Thessalonica. Paul is here alone. He's got Luke, his writing companion. But some of the people he's invested his life in have walked away. Why? Because they wanted stuff. They walked away from the mission. They walked away from the church. They walked away from Jesus. I ask you, what about you? Do you want to be wealthy more than you want Jesus? If there is even a hint in your heart of desiring money and wealth more than you desire Christ, may I say to you, kill it. Put it to death. Kill greed before greed kills you. You've got to do war, do battle against these fleshly desires within you that are pointing you away from Jesus. This desire for uh, a greater 401k. If I could only get to this amount of money, then I'll be fine. I desire wealth and all the stuff. You're in danger. Danger. That's what Paul is arguing here, is that you are in so much danger if you are pursuing these things over God. Do not replace God for gold. Do, do not pursue the temporary more than you pursue the eternal. Do not love the material world more than you love the spiritual world. You see, loving money is a characteristic not only of false teachers, but of false converts. It's people who see Jesus as a means in order to get something 
rather than Jesus is the end. He is the goal. He is the one who satisfies. So set not your hope on worldly wealth, but set your hope on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I know this. Worldly stuff, worldly wealth doesn't satisfy. You can pursue after it, but it's a chasing after the wind. There's never enough, and it never satisfies. So be content with God's provision. The second principle we see in the text is be confident in God, not your wealth. Be confident in God, not your wealth. Paul charges Timothy, verse 11, to, to flee, to, to sprint, to run away from, to stiff arm, greed and materialism and love of money. Instead, uh, the pastor and all believers, verse 11, pursue. I, mean, I love that word pursue. Go after, sprint, run hard after these six characteristics. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called and about which you have made a good confession. He's, he's calling the way to run away from and to run to, right? Run away from materialism and the pursuit and love of money and love of wealth. I mean, run away from that and run after the Lord Jesus Christ and his character. Pursue hard after him. You see, as a follower of Jesus, we cannot park it in neutral and say, I'm going to be good here. We're going to naturally drift away from Jesus. If you're not killing sin and running hard after Jesus, you're going to drift away from him. It's a fight. That's what he says there in the text. Fight the good fight of faith. But your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Your fight is against the spiritual principalities of the air. You have a real enemy that Satan, he is the devil, and he desires to bring you away from Jesus, to plant seeds of doubt, to bring you to the point in which you are no longer interested in Jesus. Apathy will set in. You'll find yourself no longer interested in the things of God. You have to fight for it. But you're not only fighting against the enemy, you're fighting against your own flesh. The deep desires within your heart of wanting to do the things that you want to do. This is why Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You've got to intentionally pursue Jesus or you will drift away. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's warning him and teaching him to warn the church at Ephesus be on guard against this love of wealth, but rather, instead of putting your confidence in your possessions or in your wealth, put your confidence in God. Paul launches here in verses 13 through 16 into a celebration of praise over who Jesus is and what he's done for us in the gospel. Isn't it interesting right here? That sandwiched in between Paul's instruction regarding wealth in verses 5 through 10, and in verses 17 through 19, he goes off for five verses exalting the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's pointing Timothy to find his confidence, not in his wallet, but in God. As a pastor, as a leader, Timothy, your confidence is in the Lord. And as your pastor, church, I say to you, your confidence is not in your 401k. It's not in your salary or how much money you save. Your confidence is in the Lord. Jesus is your confidence. Jesus is the one who is your ultimate hope. 
Proverbs 23, verses four and five says, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better, stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. You see, Proverbs gives us great wisdom on how we are to view wealth. In fact, building wealth is encouraged in Proverbs, but doing so from a heart of greed is not the path forward. Rather, we trust in God. We live a life of dependence upon him. It's couched in humility, knowing that whatever growth that we have in our wealth, it's because of his good kindness and grace towards us, not because of our self-sufficient arrogance or pride or self-sufficiency. In fact, the, the point that Paul is driving home here is that in light of the eternal life that you already possess, verse 12, in light of Jesus making the good confession before Pontius Pilate, verse 13, in light of the appearing of Jesus who is soon coming to rescue his bride, this King of kings, this Lord of lords, verses 14 and 15, in light of the only one who is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, the only one worthy of all power and glory and honor and dominion, verse 16, be confident in him. Set your confidence, verse 17, set your hope in God. You see, Jesus knew that his confession before Pontius Pilate in John 18, when he would declare that he was the king and the Messiah, he knew it would cost him his life. But he entrusted himself to God. So in light of who Christ is and in light of what he's done for you through the gospel, because of his life, because of his death, because of his suffering, because of his resurrection, in light of Jesus' soon return and rescue, in light of who he is, set your confidence in him. Don't set your hope or your confidence in your stuff. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't hold fast to your materialistic things. Hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here in the text, these principles on, as followers of Jesus, how we live generous lives, how we are to be open-handed, be content with God's provision. Be confident in God, not your wealth. But thirdly, be charitable for your future reward. Be charitable for your future reward. Paul instructs the wealthy, verse 18, to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. That believers, we are to be benevolent because God has benevolent, been, been benevolent to us in the gospel. And moreover, as we are those who are a generous people, there is a reward coming. Look at verse 19. Treasure. This is an actual reward that is coming for you if you belong to Jesus. And the greater the reward that is coming, verse 19, is dependent upon how you leverage the resources God has entrusted to you now. So he's instructing the wealthy. He's not shaming them, by the way. It's not wrong to be wealthy. He's warning them about making love of money greater than their love of Jesus. But love to have wealth is not a sin. It's not. In fact, we see that we are encouraged to enjoy all things, verse 17. What we see here is where God is leading his people to live lives that are generous. And so Paul is instructing Timothy, hey, tell the wealthy to avoid arrogance because wealthy people tend to be arrogant. 
and tell them to be those who are rich in good deeds. Now, for some of us in this room, we may be thinking, okay, the wealthy, that means people who live on the other side of the mountain. That means people over in, in, in Hollywood or New York or, let's be careful there. Two billion people in the world live on less than $3 a day. How about this statistic? If you make more than $20,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. $20,000. Now, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. It's not. But let's make sure we're clear here. Is Paul's instructing the wealthy? That's us. We are the wealthy that he is instructing to be rich in good deeds, to avoid arrogance, and to leverage our resources for the sake of the gospel. If you want to think about an ROI, a return on investment, the greater investment you make in the kingdom, the greater the return that is coming. This is why he's pointing in the end of the text there in verse 18 of a treasure, a reward that is coming for those who are rich in good deeds, those who are share, those who share, those who are generous, the text says. All oh, that you and I would live lives of generosity in which we are open-handed with what God has entrusted to us. We're not gonna be, as we saw last week, like the Ebenezer Scrooge holding fast to what we have. We're open-handed because God was open-handed towards us in the gospel who opened up his hands wide all the way at the cross where he generously gave his life on our behalf that he ransomed you for God. Through his shed blood, he purchased you, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And because of Jesus and what he's done for us in the gospel, it then compels us to live a life of generosity. All right, so here's what this is gonna look like for us practically as a church. Uh, it's something I'm going to lay out before you. It's the generosity challenge. It's your impact point. It's this. I want to challenge you is to give away something of value every day for a month. It doesn't matter what it is. That's something that you can pray and say, God, what is it I can give away today? And I can be, I can be generous. I can be a blessing. It could be buying coffee for a coworker and telling them, hey, man, Jesus loves you so much. I just want you to know, here's my gift to you. It could be buying someone's dinner in the, in the fast food drive through and hey, can, I'm buying this for the person behind me. Here's an invite card to Westwood. Maybe it's when you're at a restaurant, man, you're going to be really generous with your tip. By the way, if you're going to be stingy with your tipping, don't tell them you know Jesus. That's not us. We're a generous people. We're generous with our tipping. Okay? Why? Because God's been generous towards us. Okay, when, when Christians are stingy in their tipping, don't tell them that you go to Westwood, okay? Please don't. It's not a good witness. We're a generous people because we have received the grace of a generous God in a gospel that changes everything about us. Maybe you're, you're thinking, okay, man, there are things and in, in, in possessions that I have. How can I bless people with it? Now, this does not mean you find the old, dirty shirt with a hole in it Okay, that's not giving your best. But what we're doing is we're laying out a habit. We're preparing ourselves to be a generous people who are being open-handed and we're being, we're extending the grace and the generosity that we have received because of Christ. It's a generosity challenge. I challenge you to do it. Invite your children to get involved in it. 
What are some ways that we can leverage what we have to be a blessing to others and ultimately point them to Christ in the gospel? Maybe right now you're thinking about things that you have at your house. You're thinking, how can I leverage this to be a blessing to those who don't have? How can I leverage this holiday season of being a generous blessing to others in the name of Jesus and for his fame alone? So as we think about our lives, y'all, we have to watch our hearts and we have to watch our wallets. Here's how I want to land the plane. Westwood, let's be rich in good works. Let's be generous and willing to share. And in so doing, we're storing up treasure as a good foundation for the coming age. And we will soon take hold of what is truly life. Oh, let's be generous. Let's be open-handed because that is what God has done for us in the gospel.